0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Kingdom of God, we trace the story of God's kingdom throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Mark 1. We'll start there. We're going to bounce around a good bit again today. And again, in many ways, um, the purpose of this series, The Kingdom of God, is to get you to see something. Fundamental issue that we have coming out of the fall is that we believe, and we are bent towards being autonomous. So, what we want to do is we want to live for a kingdom of one, and that's Joe, right? And that's the person you look at in the mirror. And there's many things that we can do to try to help us um, see what God is doing and and the big picture of what He is doing in the in the part of the story that you're in, because. All of us are in God's story. All of us are on a different part of our journey, but we're all in God's story. And one of the ways for us to see that is to see the kingdom of God at work and to see the kingdom of God in His story and how He has um, written it, continues to write it, is in complete charge of it. And it's always, always, as always, we have a choice to participate or not. And um, although our hearts... Are hard, and salvation can't come through a simple decision. It has to be a both-and process where our hearts can change because really, before He changes our hearts, we don't want nothing to do with God. We really don't. We don't, we don't, we don't want to know the things of Him or, and we especially don't want to know the things that might be wrong with us that the Word of God says that keeps us separated from Him. But every single one of us the fundamental problem is we are longing to be back in a relationship with Him. So the Kingdom of God series is trying to get us to see, right, that, that God is up to something. He is working and He is moving and we are part of that story. And the only way that, that we will change our hearts or our hearts change is if we see a great big God, right? The only way that God is good enough for you when you're suffering or you're struggling or you're going through a tragedy is if you have a great big God that you can lean on. And that's what the kingdom of God series is about. I'm hoping to show you this great big God that has saved you, that has sent his son to save you. And again, we've been talking about the kingdom of God in in a simple way. We've just been saying that the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. We, we started with Eden. We went through all the different uh, things that happened with the garden and how it got corrupted. And then we saw that, that God still had a plan and he's going to still continue to move about his kingdom and move through his kingdom. And again, we're not doing this exactly. This is kind of more topical. It's not something that we typically do here at our church. Typically, we open up a book that's coming. We're going to start the book of Luke in in a couple of weeks. And we'll probably be in that for a while. Because many of you know that the book of Luke's pretty pretty large book. But I, I just felt like this was a, a need for us to see. Because I, I can't change your heart, but the Word of God can. And I just want us because... Guys, there is so much more than to living for our own little kingdom. We are not designed that way. We see it from Genesis and all the way through. We are designed in such a way that we are to live for others. We are to live for others. And I know that's counterintuitive to everything that your heart says to you, even if you are saved. But that's just the truth of the Bible. That's the truth of the Bible. And so we've been looking at a 10,000-foot view of all of this. And what we've said is this amazing book that he's given us, this God speaking to us, is the center of everything, and and Nate alluded to it earlier, that the center of everything is Jesus. He is the theological center of the Bible. Everything points to him or points back to him or it's about him. It's about Jesus. And the framework within our Bible is the kingdom of God. That is the framework of our Bible. It's it's talking about the kingdom from Genesis to Revelation. And how does God administer that kingdom? It's through covenants. First, it started with the covenant of works in the garden with Adam and Eve. And then, obviously, it was corrupted. And then we step into the covenant of grace. And that's all the Old Testament and all the New Testament until Jesus comes back to get us. So, last week, what we did is we saw how... Jesus began to fix things after the fall. And then we kind of looked at the whole Old Testament and kind of put the Bible together um, through looking through the lens of covenant. Okay, how does this all work? And those papers are actually still in the back of the thing if you want to grab on your way out. But it's just, it's just showing us how does this all fit together through God's covenant. That's what, that was last week. It's up on the website if you, if you want to check it out. It's there for you to look but today, what we will be doing is we'll be moving the, the the story from the Old Testament to the New, and, and it does so with an astonishing statement from a carpenter's son from Galilee. Mark 1.15 gives us the statement: "The time is fulfilled; everything in the Old Testament, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." So here, Jesus, a carpenter, stepping in and declaring this statement The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus announces the good news that God's power to save his creation has arrived, it's in him. When Jesus heralds these words, every Jewish ear within the sound of his voice perked up. Wait a minute we've been waiting for that. We've been anticipating that. You know, brothers and sisters, in, in many ways, it should be no different than us. We're not anticipating the first coming of the king. We're anticipating the second coming of the king. When he comes back and makes all things new, wherever sin will be no more, and, and death and hell is thrown into the pit, and, and we live in perfect harmony with God. But when, as he says this, all the Jewish people that heard him, they're like, wait, wait, what's going on? Who is this guy? Could it be? Could it be the king? Could it be him? Again, as I alluded to, the, the, our scripture reading from today from the prophet Isaiah, again, his people was trapped in miserable exile. And they were held captive. And they were waiting to hear the herald come and say, God's going to deliver you. God's going to deliver you. It's time. It's now. Now is the time. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's the herald saying, now is the time. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel and the good news of what Jesus has done. But the thing is, is is Jesus isn't coming to overthrow a people. That's not... See, the Jewish people thought that was their problem, and many of us sitting here today can give us a list of all the things that we think are our problems, but they're not really our problem. We have one problem, and that's sin. It just expresses itself in many different ways. And then the people around us are sinning, and sometimes they sin against us, and it just makes life chaotic. It makes life difficult. But thankfully, we have the Word of God to fall onto, and the Word of God to look for instructions and look for what God has done and so that we know who He is and what He has done and who we are. Now, some messages can just be received as information. Sometimes we get a message or someone declares a message and, and it's just, okay, that's information. I got that. It's no problem. But some messages need far more action than that, right? If we get a little alert on our phone and says there's a tornado a mile away we probably need to take action, right? Well, this is the same way with Jesus' announcement. This is not just information. Oh, this is great. This is what Jesus did. It doesn't matter to me. No, there needs to be action. There needs to be action. And what was this message? Repent and believe and follow me. Follow me. My kingdom has come. I'm, I'm working out my kingdom. It's, it's here, but it's not fully here yet. Now come and follow me. That's his cry. That's his plea. Repent and believe and follow me. Craig Bartholomew says this, the call to repent and believe might be paraphrased thus. Turn from your views of the world and embrace the reality and presence of the coming kingdom of God in me. Jesus, not you. You may not see the power of God's healing kingdom breaking into history, but you can believe that in me, God's liberating power is not present. God, give up your old way of life and trust me for a new one. Give up your old way of life and trust me for a new way of life. Jesus not only claims that God's kingdom has come, but the kingdom has come in himself. That's a that's a bold and giant statement. We've been talking about you know, God's kingdom uh, being about God's people and God's place under God's rule, and then Jesus says, "Well, the kingdom has come, and it's in me, or maybe through me." In fact, Luke four eighteen says, "This the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set up liberty." Uh, To set out at liberty those who are oppressed. This is Jesus' claim that this is what God has called me to do. Just like Israel was waiting for liberation, those that are are hung up in sin and and need salvation are waiting for liberation. Luke 4.21 says, And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Right? Right? I have fulfilled it. It's in me. Jesus also said that he was sent by the Father for one purpose. And this purpose was this. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. So here's Jesus, the herald, coming and saying, The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe. And follow me. The amazing thing is nowhere does Jesus stop to define or explain the phrase kingdom of God. Nowhere does he's like, okay, guys, let me, let me explain this to you, right? He just said, no, it's here and it's in me. But he does unpack it throughout the gospels a good bit, which we'll, we'll be looking at next week as we look at some of the parables as how he compared what the kingdom of God is. The reason being that those whom he is speaking to are quite familiar with such language. He doesn't have to explain it. They're anticipating it. They, they've lived it. In fact, what they have actually done, in many ways we do the same thing, is we've figured it out and, and kind of taken a little bit of what the gospel says or a little bit what the Bible says and mixed in a little bit what we have. So we're kind of creating our own little kingdom with Jesus being part of it, but not as king. Like we, we won't give up that lordship of our own life that Jesus is calling us to and that's exactly what the, the Israel did. They did it in, in several different ways. And, and some of you that read your Bible a good bit and know these different people, that they're all throughout the Gospels where Jesus is interacting with them. But they had an idea of how to bring about the kingdom of God. They had their own idea of how, okay, I'm going to make this happen. we got some things that we can do to make this kingdom of God happen. And really nothing happens until Jesus shows up on the scene. For those Israelites, there were four basic camps, and, and I don't have time to get in all of this. I wanted to get into all of this, but that would require a whole other thing. But you can see, even within denominations or within different groups, and even within sometimes I could even look at these different things and say different stages of my walk with God that this is kind of what I was believing, you know, as I mixed a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of my kingdom and, and try to walk forward that way in life. And it just doesn't work. So there were four basic camps. These ideas that how is the kingdom of God going to come? There were the zealots. They espoused revolution, right? These, these, the zealots within, all through the Bible... they were just people that were ready to take up arms and over, overthrow the Roman government, right? So, at the time that Jesus says this, the Roman government is ruling and reigning, and, and they allow the Jewish people to worship this God. But as long as they do it within a certain way, and they don't make too many waves, and they don't cause too much problems, and, and especially if they don't prevent the Roman government from doing whatever they think needs to be done, or pro- to, um, actually to progress their own kingdom, the Roman kingdom, Right? So, there was the Zealots. And then there was also the Sadducees promoted compromise with the Romans. Um, I, I, I see a lot of the idea of politicians in, in this that, that we have today because they were part of a ruling council. They depended on Romans to keep their influence, influential positions in society. But they were, they were not of the revolutionary spirit. In other words, okay, I will use Rome to get to a position and then I will compromise the Gospel. I will compromise whatever in order to keep that position. No, that's never going to work out good because there's only one king, and that's God. So we can't we can't play a little bit of, of Roman kingdom and a little bit of Jesus' kingdom and try to mush them together just so I have a prominent seat in the council or a prominent seat at the influential tables. Then you have the Pharisees taught strict cultural and religious separation. So these are our legalists, Right? Many of us have grown up in churches, and and I'm not saying that that they were just teaching us the best that they can do. This idea that it's all about moralism, and it's not. Do we teach morals? Sure we do. But it's not just about moralism. It's, It's not a do religion. It's what has been done. It's what has been done. The Pharisees... Didn't, <clears throat> made sure nobody lives like a pagan, right? And here are a couple hundred laws for you to keep to make sure that you don't <laughs> live like a pagan and nobody can keep the laws. Nobody can keep them. And then you got the Essenes who advocated complete withdrawal. I mean, these folks just thought, okay, we're going to build up some walls and we're all going to go in here and we're going to live and we'll be complete separation. And because we're going to live by the Torah, this will bring on the kingdom of God. Well, they, they all had their way. They all had the mixing of kingdoms to try to get the kingdom of God, but they were all wrong. Four different approaches in bringing about God's kingdom, but they all had one common thread. That's pretty amazing that they all had the same common thread. They hated the Gentiles. And by the way, we are the Gentiles. They hated them because they weren't of Israel. They weren't of the seed of Abraham, even though they were, they just believed that they weren't. In other words, everybody outside of the covenant up to this point. And that's what Jesus does. He brings us into the covenant. And then comes Jesus, who refuses to walk in any of these paths. His path was very different. It was the way of love and suffering, love of enemies instead of their destruction, unconditional forgiveness instead of retaliation. Readiness to suffer instead of using force. Blessings for peacemakers instead of hymns of hate and revenge. Of hymns of hate and revenge. See, Jesus didn't come with a five-step action plan to overthrow the Roman government and establish this kingdom. That's what the the Jewish people wanted at that point in time. He didn't come with that. But Jesus did have a plan. It was a simple plan. It was a simple invitation. Repent, believe, and follow me. Repent, believe, and follow me. Come be with me. Come learn from me. Give up your old way of life and trust me for a new one. This was Jesus' way of bringing in the kingdom. Follow me few images express more vividly the total commitment and absolute loyalty Jesus demands. Follow me. Are you following Jesus or are you following your own autonomy? That's that's the tension all through the gospels. Pick up your cross and follow me is what Jesus said. Loyalty to God's kingdom is expressed in loyalty to Jesus. First, we saw Simon and Andrew answer the call, followed by James and John. With these few, the kingdom community begins to form. Jesus comes into the scene after 400 years of silence and declares the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In fact, this is what the whole book of Mark is about, the authority of Jesus. When when Nate popped up that... Scripture about the blind man that is going to gain his sight, the whole book of Mark is showing you Jesus' authority. He has the authority to make the blind see, He has the authority to calm the waves, He has the authority to forgive sin. That's what the whole book of Mark is about. It, it's about His rule, it's about His authority. If you remember last week where I said that Exodus through Deuteronomy tells about the birth and life and death of the covenant mediator, Moses, that's what those four books are about. Well, the Gospels are about the same thing, except they don't sell, they don't do it in sequential order. They do, each book is about, starts with his birth, talks about his life, and ends with his death. They're talking about the covenant mediator, the covenant mediator being Jesus, who's bringing the kingdom in. And enfolding us Gentiles into the covenant so that we can be part of the kingdom through his sacrifice. The difference between Exodus, the Deuteronomy, and the four Gospels is the Gospel writer provides an account of Jesus' life and shows how he embodies the kingdom. Fulfilling the Old Testament promises concerning authority, people, and place. God's people and God's place under God's rule. Look how this works. We have already seen that Mark's focus is God's authority, his rule. So Mark, what's he going to do? He's going to start with the covenant mediator. He going to say, here's his birth, here's his life, here's his death. And it's all about his authority. So when you read a book of Mark, you see the word authority all over the place. It's about his authority, his rule. We see written in the book a Mark a voice from heaven acknowledging Jesus' authority. All through the, the book in several different places. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased, the father says. And a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Follow him. Repent and believe in the gospel. In fact, even the demons acknowledged his authority. In Mark 3.11, And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. By them declaring him the Son of God, they're, they're acknowledging his authority, the authority that the Father gave him. Mark 5.7 says, And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He had authority. It's the whole book of Mark showing us his rule. His authority. This theme is carried out all the way through Mark until we find Jesus on the cross. And what does the centurion looking up at the cross declare? In Mark 15 39, he declares this Truly, this man was the Son of God. So, all the way through the book, you have the, 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 the thread of authority. This is his rule. He has authority to say these things, to do these things, and to call us into these things. It's his rule. In fact, the Son of God, that phrase is connected to kingship, both in 2 Samuel 7 and Psalms 2, 6-8. Just so you can see where they're connecting the idea of Son of God to king, ruler. He rules. In Psalm 2, 6-8, it says this, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell, all, tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Jesus is king. He has authority. He rules. Jesus declares, I, the kingdom of God has come and it's come in me. He rules as king, the anointed Messiah, acting as one with the father. Remember all through the gospels, we hear that, that I do nothing that I don't hear the father tell me to do. He acts as one All through the book of Mark, he is pointing us to Jesus' authority as king. Authority over everything which includes God's people. God's people is the focus of the the book of Luke. Who's going to receive the kingdom? He gave us the book of Luke to tell us. Who will receive the kingdom? Who are these people? Who will be the people who occupy the kingdom? Luke emphasizes how Jesus helps the marginal, the rejected, the poor, tax collectors, sinners, women, Samaritans, and Gentiles... It's all about all the people that's going to inherit the kingdom of God. The socially, spiritually, politically disadvantaged individuals are all welcome into the kingdom of God as you read through the book of Luke. This is clear in the account of Jesus' ministry in the synagogue. Listen to what he says. He's reading Isaiah again. In Luke four eighteen through twenty one, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's a group of people that I just kind of listed out. And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So Luke is showing us who he is coming and who is going to be part of the kingdom to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus has come to set the captives free. The king is coming for the captive. But for the captives are not those under Romans rule. The captive are those who are slaves to sin, those in captivity. That's the true captivity. It's sin that enslaves us. You have the middle part of Luke where we see that the kingdom is for the lost sheep, the prodigal son, the faithful, and the poor. It is for the persistent widow, the Pharisee, the tax collector, and the children. The kingdom in Luke is about the people of the king. And Jesus promised to give the kingdom to his disciples. In Luke 12, 32, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we have God's authority, God's rule, we have God's people. And then where does the place come in? It comes in with Matthew. Matthew gives us the king's place. Matthew uses slightly different language. He speaks of the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. And then what does Jesus do in the incarnation? He brings them together. He brings them together. Jesus unites these realms in his ministry through the incarnation. The presence of the king is key to the book of Matthew. Matthew begins by rendering Jesus' story as the continuation of Israel's story. That's how he begins it. This is just a continuation of Israel's story as as they are going to the place that God wants them to be. What Jesus presents in Matthew is the upside-down kingdom. The kingdom of heaven brought to earth. Everything is flipped around. You are no longer to to react to your enemies, you're to love your enemies, right? If someone takes something, you give them something else also. It's the upside down kingdom all the way through Matthew. We get statements like this in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor uh, rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He brings heaven to earth by presenting new rhythms of life and new values for his people. We are no longer to gather the things of this world, we are now to think about living a life that will bring treasures in heaven when we get there one day. Jesus does not build his kingdom through a sword but through a message. Repent and believe. Come, follow me. Schreiner writes, he brings the kingdom of heaven down to give his people a taste of the place that he is preparing through healing, exorcism, and forgiveness. The land is made a foretaste of heaven as he goes about touching people with compassion and authority. You have God's people, Luke, in God's place, Matthew, under God's rule. Mark. So, what is John all about? Well, John's about life. It's about life. It's it's about life in the covenant. It's about life in the kingdom. Life in the covenant and life in the covenant requires belief. John states this as his purpose for the whole purpose of writing. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The concept of life, Messiah, and belief are intertwined within this verse. You have the king, you have life, you have believing. Life and the kingdom are mediated through Christ, the covenant mediator. The life that John speaks about is not exclusively a future life, eternal life. To have life in Christ is to have it now, today. A new life, following him, the kingdom is here now, but will be fully consumed in the future, consummated in the future. John's gospel does not contradict the synoptic account of the covenant mediator, but com- complements their view of the kingdom. It's kind of like the, the writings. This is how you live in in life with the covenant. That's what John is showing us. He's showing us because... Believing is the most important thing. Every single one of our sins at the root is just unbelief in the gospel in some way, in some form. Kingdom life is about salvation for God's people in their own place under God's rule. Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. In the gospel. And it all culminates on top of a mountain. It's interesting that it starts on a mountain with Adam and Eve being in Eden, that Moses' ark lands on a mountain. I mean, that Noah's ark lands on a mountain, that Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and we finally see that on that mountain we see a cross. We see a cross. The Gospels presents the kingdom realized through the cross. The cross establishes the kingdom. The kingdom comes through the cross. The cross is what makes you His people. If you are in Christ today, then you are one of God's people in God's place under God's rule. The place you are in is, is God's place because He gave all of us in Christ authority on earth to enact kingdom influences. The cross brought you into the kingdom and then then Jesus has given us authority. In Matthew 16, 19, it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on there shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on there shall be loosed in heaven. This is not to accomplish your or my prosperity, but to accomplish the movement and forward movement of God's kingdom work. The cross lives On in the people of God in a place where they gather. When they take up their crosses and follow Jesus, there the kingdom is. So every time that you deny yourself and you step into believing and trusting in the gospel, there the kingdom of God is. Matthew 16, 24 through 25 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Have you cried out to the son of David today to be saved? Have you shifted your focus from your own little kingdom with an audience of one to this grand kingdom that God is building and has called you to be part of? Have you picked up your cross, denied self, so that you may have eternal life? I hope that you have. And I pray that you will lean into his kingdom. I pray that you do that today. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you have saved us, that we, because of original sin, were separated from you, and we had a hard heart, and it was only through your sacrifice and the sending of the Spirit that we can be saved. Lord, on that cross, you stood in our place. You took the wrath that we deserve because of our sin. And to show your authority after they put you in the grave, you rose again on the third day. Lord, I pray that everyone here believes what you have done for them. I pray that they will rest in the the perfect life that you live that we cannot, that is credited to us in righteousness. So that one day, when you do come back and your kingdom is fully realized, we are able to stand in your presence, not because of what I've done and how good I am, but because how incredibly perfect and awesome your son is. And because of my faith in him, that you Give as a gift. Lord, I pray today that you would give that gift. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.